Welcome to AARP Podcast, Prepare to Care. I am your host, Charlene Hunter-Jeans. According to Feeding Texas, the Lone Star State is the fifth highest for senior food insecurity. What does that mean? Well, that means that 11% of Texas seniors run the risk of going hungry. Local food banks are doing their part to help feed these Texans in need. So are organizations like Lucille's 1913 Foundation, led by Chef Christopher Williams of Lucille Restaurant. He joins us today to tell us about what he's doing to ensure seniors in the fourth largest city in the country don't go hungry. Chef Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, let's begin. Hey, Charlene, I'm sorry. Tell us a little bit about... Charlene, hey, Charlene, hello? Charlene, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop it just a little Mm -hmm. bit. You're really, really close, and Chef is is not. So can you just kind of pull back just a little bit? You're really close to the, your monitor. Yeah, that's that's much better. Yeah, because it looks like you you know you're like huge, and then you're like a giant, and he's not. So j- let's go from the. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? You're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, where do you want me to start from the game? Yes, please. Here we go. Welcome to the AARP Texas Prepare to Care podcast. I am your host, Charlene James. According to Feeding Texas, the Lone Star State is the fifth highest state for senior food insecurity. What does that mean? It means that Texas, 11% of Texans are go- seniors are going hungry. Local food banks are doing their part to help feed these Texans in need. So are organizations like Lucille's 1913 Foundation in Houston, led by Chef Christopher Williams of Lucille's Restaurant. He joins us today to tell us about what he's doing to ensure seniors in the fourth largest city in the country don't go hungry. Chef Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Chef Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, a little background before we discuss the foundation. Uh, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your podcast and thank you so much for that donation. Which you guys have met, you made to our effort. <clears throat> um, I'm the chef and owner of Lucille's Restaurant. It's a, a restaurant here in Houston. We've, um, in the Museum District, also known as Third Ward, originally known as Third Ward. We've been in operation for eight years. And we do, <clears throat> excuse me, Southern cuisine with global influences. Um, and um, yeah, so so that, that that's the restaurant. And I'm from Houston. My family's 180 years deep in Texas. We named the restaurant after my great grandmother, who's a chef and a pioneer and a trailblazer and just an amazing woman, just an amazing human. Um, and so the 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 restaurant's uh, essentially a love letter to her creativity um, and the South and the contributions she made. Um, yeah, so that that's 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 me in a rundown and what got us to this point. 
Well, let's talk about what motivated you to start Lucille's Foundation. Yeah, so with the um, with the pandemic, when it started a little bit over a year ago, we, uh, I guess a quick way to put it is that I, my, I made a commitment to the staff that we would keep 100% of the people on um, at a salary, which would be a, a essentially like just the average of what they made in the year leading up to that point. Um, I'm happy to say that we kept all those people on. They, 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 they felt comfortable enough to stay. And I'm also very proud to say that they're also, they're, they're very prideful. And so while we were working together, business was down 92%. We still needed something to do. And uh, my team didn't want handouts. They wanted to work. So we started trying to find ways to contribute and to keep, keep everybody well-oiled and, 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 and rolling the way that we're used to. So it started with our neighbors in the medical center, um, largest medical center in the world. And we started targeting the graveyard shifts because some people were making donations to first responders for you know breakfast and lunch. These are cheaper, mm-hmm. easy to pull off. Uh, but just like with the work that we're doing now, we uh, always go after the, the, the communities that aren't really considered. So we went after the graveyard shift. And uh, in the first 15 days, we did a little bit over 3,000 mills. And then I shifted focus to um, our elders in these impoverished com- uh, communities around Houston, historically black communities that are historically not really challenged. Um, it started with Anna Dupree in Sunnyside, which is a neighborhood that I'm very familiar with because half my father's family uh, is either from or lived there. So I know Sunnyside. So we started with Anna Dupree. And the first day I dropped these mills off, um, I saw that somebody else had dropped some mills and they just weren't received them very well because the mills had no, there's no consideration of that, of that of the audience that they were serving. I knew them, like that's my Aunt Lucille, there goes Uncle Chad, there goes Mr. McPherson, like not literally them, but I know them like that. So I know exactly what they want to eat. I knew how to get them the nutrition that they need and deserve and the flavors that they, that they appreciate and would look forward to. So I wrote a menu for 30 days um, and we just started going. Uh, we started do- delivering to them five days a week and uh, seeing the, the, the excitement and, and, and cultivating the little micro relationships that we were able to build through the, you know, the, the 10 minutes that I'd be there making the deliveries, I kind of got addicted to it. And it also really shined a light on food insecurity in these communities that were there long before the pandemic. Um, and well, unfortunately, it will be there long after. So what we started, so we it went from uh, doing 137 mils a day to at our peak effort, it's uh, been um, uh, 1,800 mils a day. And so to date, we've done over just under 220,000 mils that we've done. And I love to call them uh, mils of dignity. And we're serving these communities all the way from Sunnyside to Acres Home and now down to as far down as uh, Kendleton, Texas, which is in Fort Bend. And the great thing about the Mills with Dignity component is, is that we, like whatever this audience is that we're serving, given that we're a, whole, we're a chef-born and chef-operated initiative, we're able to create Mills that speak directly to their life experiences and what their palates want. If that means if we're in Richmond, Texas, where it's about 73% Hispanic, as far as the population that's in need is concerned, then 
we're going to get some flavors on there that that speak to their life experiences. It's not just a one-stop shop because it's one thing to, you know, serve somebody a meal um, that just covers the board. Hey, you got your protein, you got your vegetables, you got your starch, um, but there's no consideration of them. And there's something else to have somebody create a meal that with you in mind. And um, people really, they, people see that and that it's received really well. How do you assess individuals to receive these meals? Yeah, I, I was, I'm new um, to these kind of efforts because what we do is we just normally just, we see need, we just go with blanket efforts. Uh, and then we, as we, we trust in people's goodwill for being honest with us, right? Like we, we, okay. we, yeah, we assume some level of integrity. And with this, with this effort, it actually turned into a, recommend, a recommendation from every property manager. Um, because when I, when I got the systems down for one, I wanted another one and they would refer me to them. And, and one thing that all these communities have in, in common is that the, well, not all of them, but the majority of them, um, the, the residents have, you know, subsidized rent. So they don't have to pay for their rent. But when it comes to food security, they're on their own. Um, and what was you know, terrible about this pandemic is that given the risk that it posed to our elders, they no longer had access to their families. Like these buildings couldn't allow the, the, their family mm -hmm. members to come in and That's bring them, even though, you know what I mean? And yes. so uh, and so we just, uh, it, every community that was referred to us, all it took was one, you know, I, I ran the <laughs> risk of, you know, 100 mils or however many mils over there. But the criteria is pretty loud. <laughs> you know, like the, the average age is like around 70 years old. Um, and seeing it enough it was enough for me because uh, we, we there, there's enough red tape when it comes to assistance for these communities that don't get the assistance they already uh, deserve. So we just wanted to make it as simple as possible. Just get there and get the need going and trust again that there will be some integrity in that community. Uh, I'm curious. In this podcast, we, we deal with a lot of caregiving issues. And so mm -hmm. in distributing the foods, did you come across perhaps seniors who were taking care of other seniors or caregivers who were challenged about getting food for their care recipients? We, we did receive um, inquiries and that's always just been, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's something nobody's ever brought up to us. Uh, we a few communities, people had reached out to us um, and we picked them up immediately. But as far as taking care of the caregivers, what we do, the meal we drop, like the, the total amount is not just for the residents, it's for the people, it's for the staff that are there. Oftentimes when the meal delivered, you notice other uh, problems or things that are going on that may need further follow-up by, uh, if not your organization, uh, referral to some other health and human service organizations. Have you identified any of those issues as you deliver those meals? Yeah, well, I mean, the one, the thing that really <clears throat> sticks out to me, and again, I don't have a trained eye um, for how deep the issues go or, or where, where really even where to point people in. Like my whole thing's just trying to help people find um, a self-sustainable livelihood through the medium of food, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I see out there is what I've seen in every you know, economically challenged neighborhoods since I could see uh, is that there's just lack of opportunity. The unemployment is high. And so what I thought would be a really what I what we 
identified immediately was that it's a really unique opportunity for us to not only give these communities fish, but teach them how to fish. And what does that mean? That means that mm-hmm. what we've been doing is hiring from these communities. Um, obviously not the elders because you're working in kitchens, not, <laughs> you know, uh, that's some nasty work, but hiring their youth. And so bringing them, giving them entree into the culinary arts, which is, if you get bit by the bug, it will change your life. I mean, because that's they changed my life. Um, so we bring them into the program and the skin in the game that they get, this is the beautiful part about it, is that off the jump, they make 12 on average, well, they start at $12 an hour. Um, and that's just entry level. And so then we train them up, just like everybody who's already, who works with 1913 right now, as far as the cooks are concerned, they have zero culinary experience. Um, but we train them up to be large, large production style uh, culinarians. And so they get the benefit of having that immediate premium pay for no experience, for, for learning to be an asset, for being allowed to be an asset. And then also they get the, uh, the other good side, the other benefit of knowing that the work they're doing is directly impacting their community. So dignity is a word that I use a lot, but it's a powerful word. And it's, it's what, we're, what we're trying to do with the work and what we believe to be a symptom of the work. And that if you have these neighborhoods that have all these challenges and, uh, and fear and economic depression are, are two huge components of, of just the existence in these neighborhoods. If you know that your neighbor is now working for 1913 and he is working to provide food security for your family, your neighbor, your sister, your brother, whatever it is, that person's house is now safe. You know what I mean? It, it brings dignity into the neighborhood. And so... And that also extends to our farming initiatives that we have to where we're hiring people to work in these farms, to learn how to manipulate the land. And then we create access points to these communities to where they can then purchase these these goods that are grown by their own neighbors specifically for them at cost. Because we're not trying to we're not trying to take advantage of anything. We're just trying to sustain the effort. We're not trying to give a hand out. We're trying to give a hand up. Um, and the and we're trying to do everything, keep everything vertically in it to where there is no outsourcing of anything. This is this is just it's bringing dignity to these communities where it's back to what it was before desegregation. It's what every community in this country has, whether they've been here for two hundred years or twenty years. They first set up shops where they can sustain themselves, and they branch out and grow. So we're just trying to get back to that with these communities here. Well, you certainly are to be commended because you're looking at a bigger picture that goes just beyond the meal itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the meal is kind of the end product, but you're looking at the bigger picture that of the process before the meal and what it means in terms of um, the bigger picture of the community in which these mm-hmm. people live. We know that you can always use more money to support your efforts, but what are some other resources for people that might be listening uh, that you might need? Well, you know, the, the, the one thing that's been challenging for every restaurateur and then especially with what we're doing, because all these mills are, uh, they're, they're packaged. Um, to-go containers have been, it's been tough to source them and they're, they're you know, charging a significant premium on those. Uh, back when we had, when the Yuri storm hit us, water was, a, was at an absolute premium. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that uh, we became one of the trusted conduits for people's goodwill 
in the state and around the country where we had plenty of water and I, we still have some left over. <laughs> so we're, we're good on water. We're, we're dropping wherever we can find a need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's mostly, uh, it's mostly, yeah, containers and then, um, and then volunteers when we do our drops. But, but what we're finding is, because another big thing that we were doing, we were doing a lot of drops around <clears throat> uh, the city and in the Fort Bend County. But those drops, just like with, I mean, I guess kind of like food bank distribution points, they don't really speak to the people that are in absolute need because the people that are in need don't have access to it. So what we have to do is we have to take this stuff directly to them. And so when it comes down to that, it's cash and cash is king because I'm in the food business. I can't, you know, we can't, everything we have to buy is fresh. Everything is from scratch. I have great relationships with our vendors who are now our partners to where we are able to get better pricing on what we offer. Um, But it's still, it's, it's the biggest part of our expense, that and labor. But if they would like to check out our website, lucilles1913.org, they will have a list of upcoming events that we may have planned for uh, the rest of this month. I know we have something coming up for Juneteenth. Uh, we'll definitely need volunteers for that. And they could also make their donations through there, which we absolutely appreciate because right now we're doing, we're back to doing, uh, what, 900 mils a day over seven different communities. And our goal is to have long lasting, deep impact because anybody can go feed somebody for a day, but I want to take that. I want to bring that security to them uh, until they don't need it. The word is spreading. As you know, you've you've been uh, profiled on many uh, fronts uh, in the media. So are there any plans to expand further in our state? Yes, ma'am. Uh, we, we do have plans to, to the, the goal we first started doing this were to um, have uh, seven distribution points throughout the, the, the city, um, well, food production um, kitchens throughout the city. Right now we have two, one in Fifth Ward, one in Hiram Clark. We're looking for to do one in Third Ward. Um, and basically, if you can imagine any of these uh neighborhoods where you can find dilapidated land, food insecurity, uh, poverty, that like that's exactly where you want to where we want to be to provide. So try to cancel out as many things as we can. Food insecurity, we can easily take care of that. Uh, and empl- uh, unemployment we can provide full time jobs with our kids model as it is right now. Um, we do a minimum seven hundred and fifty mills out of every outlet. Uh, and then when there's that 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 wasted land, which which is you know just a hallmark of all these uh, neighborhoods that we know of, we want to take that land and um, start producing from it and give the community direct access to stuff that they grow themselves. So the goal is seven um, for now, and we're 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 two in, and looks like we have three and four right around the corner. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, is there a tip or a piece of advice you would like to share with our listeners about feeding our older community residents? Any additional information? Well, um, that I mean, the tip is, <laughs> the, the fact is, is that food insecurity is very, very real. Um, so, if it's not 1913, if it's not AARP, um, there, there are other credible sources that, that 
do something comparable. Um, they, they, we all need your support uh, to continue this work. And um, one other thing that I didn't mention, which is something I'm really excited about as well, is this the last part of our uh, of this vertically integrated ecosystem that we're creating as to where we have the farm. So you have the seed that goes to harvest, that goes to the um, uh, production or processing then goes to production for the mills that we do. But another thing that we're really big on is trying to take waste out of our village. Uh, waste, food waste specifically, is a number three contributor to global warming, um, which makes a lot of these other initiatives big contributors to global warming. Uh, what we're doing is out of all of our kitchens that we have right now, including the restaurants, um, there is no waste. We either compost the, the true scraps, so that, that goes right back into the land to support the land naturally. And there's also our fermentation that we do, which is getting back to cooking 101, um, making our own preserves, our jams, uh, pickles, kimchi, you name it. Um, and this is, this is ancient cooking, and this is how, like, this is where food sustainability, actually, this is where it started, is with that pickling, salting, fermentating approach to food. So I'm happy to say that we um, have just really got into this. This is our fifth ward kitchen that we're doing. We have Chef, Chef Don Burrell, who's going to take the lead of this initiative um, and train a lot of a lot of at-risk youth. We're going to train them up on how to do this cooking. So it's, it's turned into a, a full culinary program that's going to produce um, some great talent because this is an education that I wish I would have had going through culinary school. It's one thing to learn, and there's one thing, and there's another thing to practice. So th th this is all the things that we uh, that we have going on. And, yeah, well, Chef Chris, we really applaud all the work that you're doing and your efforts to not just feed those who are hungry, but to um, change their life in many ways through training and education and employment. So um, continue the great work that you're doing and AARP looks forward to um, being in contact with you and working with you and, and supporting your efforts um, as you expand as well. So thank you for joining us and uh, be safe and well. You as well, thank you for having me. We encourage you to follow Prepare to Care podcasts via Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, or at www.aarp.org slash HoustonPTC. Thank you for listening. And more so, thank you for caring.